everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Steinman. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene podcast. This week, I feel very, very blessed and honored to have one of my favorite doctors on who I've been working with for the last seven years at the Spodak Dental Group. I've been graced with her presence and have been blessed to know her, work alongside her, and learn a lot of things from her in those seven years. So her name is Dr. Tiffany Dudley. She graduated from the University of Detroit Mercy School of Dentistry, and after finishing dental school, she moved to South Florida, where she completed her general practice residency at the, the Veterans Hospital in Miami. And there she served as chief resident until joining a practice in the Florida Keys. Dr. Dudley is the first dentist in Delray Beach to earn an American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine Qualified Dental Distinction. And in addition, 2019, Dr. Dudley became an American Board of Dental Sleep Medicine diplomat. <clears throat> Earning diplomat status from the ABS, ABDSM is quite an honor that recognizes special competency in dental sleep medicine. Both of these distinctions continue to advance her role in the treatment of sleep disordered breathing for the benefit of her patients. And Dr. Dudley is also committed to treating her patient's gum disease and offers minimally invasive laser treatment or gum, for gum disease called the LANAP protocol. The LANAP protocol is the only FDA cleared laser treatment proven to regenerate bone loss and gum disease without cutting or stitching the gums. In her free time, she loves to run and can be often found participating in local fitness events and marathons and also loves to spend time with her husband, Brian, and their sons, Mark and Jay. So Dr. Dudley, welcome. Thank you for being with us this weekend. We appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, Brittany. Thank you so much. That was such a nice introduction. Yes. And uh, on our last little snippet, on the last little section of that intro, we mentioned LANAP, which is, of course, a whole podcast episode of itself, which we are finally doing today. So we're um, eager to hear about your wealth of knowledge in regards to the world of lasers. Um, it's something that I'm very familiar with because I'm, again, blessed to work with specialists in a multi-specialty practice but it's something that a lot of hygienists aren't familiar with. And I think that there are a lot of questions in regards to what the laser does, what it is, how do hygienists play in the follow-up and the recare following this initial treatment and, and what makes it a protocol, what, what makes it successful, what will make it unsuccessful. And uh, we really just wanna make sure that we're setting hygienists and doctors alike up for success regarding follow-up care for these patients. And I want to hop in just for two seconds and say that I am so, so excited for this information. And I'm kind of just like sitting at your feet, like excitedly listening in, because as you guys know, I practice in the state of Georgia and my hands are tied in a lot of ways for what I can do for hygiene. I know there's a lot of hygienists out there that can use lasers. And I've always been really jealous of that. And because I don't have that technology at my fingertips, I don't really know a whole lot about it. Um, I know some things and I, I, as a hygienist would love to know you know, when is a patient a good candidate and when should I send them your way and what should I know for the after? So I'm really, really excited to learn this information and learn how it can really benefit of our, 
benefit our patients so that they can get the best care possible? Yeah, those are all great questions. I can answer probably all of them. You know, unfortunately in Florida and Georgia, hygienists are not allowed to use lasers, which is so silly in my opinion. And hopefully in the coming years, they will change that because it would be super beneficial if after any type of therapy you did, whether it was scaling or even a prophy or, you know, the debridements or the gingivis debridements that we do for all these people that have this horribly red, irritated um, gingiva that you could essentially kill the bacteria without harming the tissue. And that's the main um, benefit to the MVP periolase. It is a special laser and it is used for the LANAP protocol like Brittany mentioned. So most important thing is that all lasers are not created equal. Um, there are so many lasers out there. There's, you know, CO2 lasers, there's water lase, you know, there's diode, there's all kinds of stuff. But um, the MVP Paralyze is a special laser. It's made by a company called Millennium Dental in California. And um, it is the only one, like Brittany mentioned, that is FDA approved. So it means it went through rigorous studies and clinical testing to show that it can regrow bone where bone is lost. And most of you as hygienists know, like that's what we're fighting against, right? So periodontal disease is, you know, the irritation of the gingiva, the loss of bone support around teeth and scaling root planing is great to arrest it, but to actually regenerate the bone is amazing, right? And that's what it does in the protocol. So Lynette protocol is a full mouth protocol. Um, it basically uses the laser um, to target red irritated inflamed tissue. So the angrier the tissue, the better. And the wavelength of this laser targets that red tissue, kills the bacteria, does not affect the tissue at all in a bad way, right? So normally like you think about a laser, if you have a laser treatment, it's like a zap and like a burn smell or, you know, like a, you know, a charred piece of tissue left. Like that's typically of a diode laser, you know, when you're cutting something. This basically is a fine filament that goes in between the tooth and the gums into the pocket and sanitizes the pocket. So if you were to do a culture and they actually did this, Macaulay did it um, in Fort Lauderdale where he did, um, half mouth scaling, half mouth laser. He went back and he did um, cultures of both pockets. In the scaled pocket, you had between 50 and 75% reduction of bacteria, which is awesome. But in the lasered pocket, you had no bacteria, zero, zero. So like, think about that. Like when you're treating someone, like if you guys, you know, a lot of hygienists out there use microscopes and send out for cultures and we do targeted antibiotics. And the whole purpose is like, hey, how do we get these bugs that are causing this disease down to a level where your body can function and repair itself? Because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for your body to repair itself after we do scaling. Mm -hmm. The laser aids in that because it gets rid of all the bacteria for about up to 90 days, which is what allows your body to then regenerate. Like you think about, you have a cut on your finger, we put some antibiotic ointment on it, it heals so much faster, right? Bacteria gone, right? In your mouth, if you can do that, it just lets your body kind of have a heads up. It's like tipping the scale in your body's favor to allow you to heal. And that's what allows the bone regeneration along with the use of the protocol, which is a very strict um, recipe, right? And all they say to training, you know, kind of getting into it like, Hey, how do you get trained on this laser? Like you go to California for a week, it's not a week in total. It's like three different, um, three day sessions or whatever. And, um, they teach you this protocol. They show you the laser you do, you know, half of it didn'tic, half of it on patients where you actually, as a dentist that's 
has this laser able to treat a patient, right? They have the patients there. It's all pro bono. It's a great thing for this population in California. And um, you get to use it, right? And then you get to come back in, you know, three or four months and you get to see that patient you initially treated and you get to see it working and you get to see, you know, the post-ops or you get to see a post-op from someone else who did it, right? So um, I feel like I'm talking too much. You guys must have no. questions. No, here. you're not at all. This is, I mean, you're answering some of the questions that we were going to ask, which is great. So you just covered what your training kind of entails. And I'm sure that that's very um, like in depth. And I know that you're describing a protocol. And I know that you and I have talked about how if it's just a procedure and there's no follow-up for that procedure, then it's going to fail. There's not going to be success. There's not going to be regeneration. So can right. you tell us a little bit about what the protocol actually is like following the yeah. line? So that is the like that is the most important part as well as you know with what you ladies do we always tell the patient you know we're going to do the scaling or we're going to do this therapy and i'm going to do about 20 percent of it but 80 percent of it is really up to you right so the follow-up is is very um i mean i tell patients like hey we just have to be best friends right you have to come here you have to have your maintenance visits we have to disturb these bacteria like you're going to make it 60 90 days and everything's going to be good. But if you go much past that, these pathogenic bacteria or the spirochetes, like they're going to recolonize, you're going to end up in back in the same spot. So patient number one, like patient home care, you know, get an electric toothbrush, make sure you're flossing like the basics, you know, Paraprotect is great because it cuts the level of bacteria on a daily basis, which I found, you know, that, that is not part of the NAP protocol, by the way. However, we have used it in our practice. Most of the patients that um, have LNAP get perioprotectant. It's been a game changer as far as success rates, because as we all know, like these patients, unfortunately, didn't get here by doing the right thing, right? So we have to help them. And some patients do have like a, you know, a reckoning and they say, okay, I don't want to lose my teeth. Like I'm going to treat it. But let's be honest, majority of patients that have scaling end up with scaling again. And the same thing can happen with the laser, right? It's not a one and done therapy. Gum disease is never cured, right? We cannot get rid of the bacteria. Um, so follow-up is three-month perio maintenance, um, making sure they're wearing their occlusal guard because, you know, as you ladies know, a huge component of perio is occlusion, right? So if those teeth are all wonky or we've got heavy contacts in certain areas, you can almost always correlate a deep pocket with a heavy contact, right? So um, there is some bite adjustment that is done and that is done to let the, the, the teeth rest because, um, you know, talking about the protocol, the protocol is basically we're going in with a thin fiber between the tooth and the gums. We're killing the bacteria, right? We are also getting rid of like the, the, the disease layer of the pocket, right? So it comes off in like a little thin film, right? And then we're evaluating with bone sounding, like how where are the deepest pockets, right? And are those teeth in traumatic occlusion? And they're, they're taken out if they are, so they can heal, right? You can imagine like if you broke any part of your body or if you have a bruise anywhere and you constantly like, oh, I have a bruise here. If you constantly every day are going like this to it, like that is never gonna go away or it's gonna take a very long time. So in the mouth, it's the same thing. If you have a tooth that's in hyperocclusion, you have to you know, bring it down a little bit so the opposing is not banging on it so much so it can have that chance to kind of rest and recover. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as, you know, hygienists are concerned, the most important thing is after the LNAP, you, you, you need to clean those patients. You need to stay within one to three millimeters in the sulcus, right? I know Brittany's heard this before, but I call it like the princess cleaning, right? So we're not going hardcore. We're not getting down. We're not looking at the x-rays and going, oh, I should need, I need to get down to that pocket. Like you need to stay superficial, right? But we need to get 
everything off and everything off that's at the superficial level of that healthy sulcus that we just created, mm -hmm. right? Because we just need to disturb it and prevent it from sliding down or right. Well, technically, down technically it's just a disinfected pocket still because it's still a deep pocket at the beginning. And it's just we want right. to clean that by disrupting what's on the surface. 100%. Not, not disrupting what is trying to regenerate at the bottom by going to the bottom and, and poking into things, right? Exactly. So the person was just bone sounded and that thin filament just made it to the bottom of wherever the top of that alveolar bone is. So us going mm -hmm. and poking into it is the last thing that needs to happen until about a year later. Right. You know, keeping it clean. I'm glad you mentioned a year later. Initial bone growth happens at one year, mm -hmm. but it really does take a full three years to take, like you can take x-rays at one year and it will look better. Right. But you know, Brittany can say, we just had this patient, I won't say his name, but he had the laser done with a previous dentist at our practice and it's three or four years later. And finally we're like, he looks amazing, yep. you know, and all along the way. And that's the thing, you know, I know as hygienists, everyone wants to like do the therapy and see them in four to six weeks and be like, Hey, you're good. And the real, the realistic expectation with Lanap is like, yes, they look good superficially, but if you took x-rays, you're going to be like, Oh gosh, this still looks like a disaster. Right. And it might, right. Because you, you have to think about this, like this process did not happen overnight. So the healing and the regeneration is also not going to happen overnight. So you have right, well, to. Well, there's that. And, and the bone and nerve, bone and nerve tissue are the slowest healing things in the body. Like they're, yeah. they're extremely slow. They take time. And this is regeneration. We're regrowing bone. That takes time. Yeah. So yeah. the most important thing hygienists can do is counseling of the patient, making sure their home care is exceptional, mm -hmm. making sure they stay on that three month recall. I mean, we have, you know, a good system in our office where we give them basically all their appointments at the start of the therapy, right? So you have an appointment for the, the actual treatment itself, which is either done full mouth or half at a time. And then your next year of appointments are mapped out for you, which is key. And we tell them, listen, if you need to move something, no problem, we'll move it sooner, don't move it later, right? So on your end, just making sure if a, a patient that has laser falls off the schedule that we're getting them back in, that we're at least calling them and saying like, hey, it's super important that you you get back in because if you don't, like all of the time and effort you've spent moving forward goes backwards. Um, making sure they're doing their home care, recommending adjuncts for them. You know, I don't know how many people tell me like, oh, well, my fingers, I just can't floss. Like, like okay, well, you need to floss. So, you know, that kind of thing. Like having honest conversations. I know Brittany can tell you because my personality is not, um, I don't beat around the bush. And it's just like, listen, <laughs> this is what you have to do. Like, I can help you, but you have to help yourself too. So, I don't know what you mean. Are you straight? Yeah. Are you saying you're straightforward and direct? Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Who doesn't like that, right? I like that. So I have my brain is like working overtime here, thinking about all the things, and I do kind of like a sciencey brain. So how? And, and I'm a, such a big fan of Perio Protect, and I can see why that would be such a good beneficial for maintenance because obviously, if you've gone in and you've done your sterilization, and I've also heard too in. Um, I sat in a perioprotect course where there was a periodontist talking about Lanap and it was kind of the first time I'd really heard about it and was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like the fact that it sterilizes the pocket, the fact that it leaves almost like a, the, the light itself kind of helps the tissue start to heal right away. It almost leaves like a little scab of tissue. So it kind of protects for the healing process. I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. The body is designed to heal itself. So it's just getting that bacteria out of the way so that that can happen. So I can see how afterwards using PerioProtect to just keep that bacterial load as low as possible all the way down to those pockets makes sense. But my question is if, you know, obviously as hygienists, we don't want to go any further than one to three millimeters. 
is there a problem with using the perioprotect? Because I know those are, the trays are designed to really force that medicament all the way to the base of that pocket. Is that a hindrance at all? Do you wait for a while for that or is that enough? Wait. Yeah, so generally we're delivering perioprotect around the three month mark, okay? okay? So we're not doing it right away. And you're right, like you don't wanna force anything into that pocket. Um, but yeah, so we, we wait till about three months to deliver it. And that's also the point where you're gonna say like, hey, you can go back to a water pick. Hey, you can go back to an electric toothbrush because for the, what we didn't talk about was like, hey, we do this procedure. They do have a special diet following the surgery. There is limitations. Like for the first week, they're not brushing or flossing at all. When they come back at a week, we give them a soft toothbrush. At two weeks, we're giving them back the floss. We're telling them not to like go crazy with it, right? So yeah, and then, you know, of course we talked about the healing you know, and we talked about the occlusal aspects of healing, but also, you know, we use our teeth for everything. Every time you swallow, every time you talk, like teeth are touching, teeth are moving. So when you're eating for the first, you know, three days, they have a liquid diet. So like put it in a blender is what I tell people. No straws, but put it in a blender. If you can drink it out of a cup, you can have it, right? After that, soft things, pancakes, scrambled eggs, things you don't really have to chew a lot. And then we go back to like normal diet, but no popcorn for a year no hard nuts for a period of time. And every patient's different. So you can't say like, oh, everyone gets the same. This isn't like a one size fits all thing, you know, just like any perioperative You're tailoring, we're tailoring this to the patient. So um, there are some, you know, hard things that people have to do. And, you know, people always look at me and go, oh my gosh, no popcorn. And they say, yeah, no, because you got to think about it. All those little things, all those nuts, all those little seeds, you want to get anything stuck anywhere. You want anything to cause like a- uh, An acute problem. Uh, yeah, exactly. A foreign body reaction. You don't want that, right? You don't want inflammation increased when we just try to decrease it. Right. Does the laser do anything to calculus buildup itself or is it? Oh my God. It's amazing. You guys, I wish you could use it. So I do all the scaling myself during these procedures, which is super awesome because I love getting chunks off teeth. Like if I wasn't a dentist, I probably would have been a hygienist. Cause it's like, Ooh, I, I geek out on that kind of stuff. But yeah, so it makes it so easy to scale because it basically denatures the calculus and makes it super brittle. So um, we use a piezo in the, 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 the LANAP protocol. And I, maybe for one or two teeth, each one, I have to get out like a 204S or a posterior scaler or something like that. But you go through with the laser first and then the second phase is like the piezo. You, that calculus just falls off. Nice. And it's amazing. And even if you don't, like, let's be realistic. like. No procedure except open flap debridement where you can visualize it. Make sure you get every bit of calculus off. However, the benefit to the laser is that if we don't get the calculus off, it still killed all the bugs in it, right? So it's like, you know, I tell patients like the calculus is like the house where the bacteria live, like the house is empty, mm -hmm. right? So, um, but obviously we try, we do take post, I take post-op x-rays to make sure I got every bit of calculus I possibly can and we feel around, but um, like I said, you know, we're all human. Yeah. Like if we flapped any patient, I'm sure we'd find some calculus. Yeah, absolutely. We just did a, um, uh, a whole, uh, episode last week on radiographic calculus and the limitations and the benefits of pre and post-op radiographs and how the radiographic calculus isn't the only calculus. And so of course, like if a patient's flopped after any procedure, there's going to be something left. Um, yeah. it's just, and the benefit know, to the nap is the tissue shrinks so quickly and is so healthy. Like at a week later, like, I'll be honest, like there've been patients that have like, you know, rings of calculus and I'm like, Oh, I'm confident. I got it all. And you see the tissue shrinking. You're like, Oh, look at that. But then you can see it. And right. like, I literally right. go back at the piezo and it just goes, poof, like, mm -hmm. bye. So, so 
when you see them a week later, what are you doing at that visit? Are you just literally looking at the tissue or we're looking at the tissue and we're also doing an occlusal adjustment, delivering a night guard or a retainer. Um, uh, and you know, seeing how the patient's healing, you know, one of the big things about the laser is you, even if you saw them 24 hours post, it is going to look amazing and a benefit to the laser versus, um, traditional osseous surgery is that you're not cutting, you're not stitching, you're using the body um, itself to heal it. And the last part of the laser is the laser is multiple settings like this NVP periolase doesn't just do linap. Like it's got a diode setting. It's got all, like you can do treatment of aptus ulcers. Like I used it to do a biopsy last week, you know, and it's really, really great, but there's different settings. So the last setting you do with the laser is you go through and you make a second pass around every tooth which basically coagulates the blood and it makes it into jello. And then you like squeeze it closed instead of having to suture it. So it's like amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. I have a question about the, the MVP, MVP periolase too, because also I'm in Florida, so I can't use a laser on patients either. Um, right. But my question is, is that the same, would I use the same laser for pocket disinfection after a hygiene procedure, just on a different setting? Would it be that yeah. laser? Okay. It is that laser. It is a different yeah. setting. And okay you know, pocket disinfection is great. It's just like, it sounds like you're going every three months with the maintenances. And even if you haven't had, and we talked about those, you know, we used to call them like white tornado, bloody profies, like mm-hmm. which now we have a code for it, um, which still doesn't make it any easier, but um, at least we can say what it is. It, it would make like, you know, the, the laser is, is good to treat periodontal disease, but it's also good to treat gingivitis. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I mentioned, aptus ulcers and like uh, desensitization of teeth, like it can do so, so yeah. many things, you know, it can sterilize endocanals, like it treats, you know, extra oral bruising after surgery, anything that's itchy, anything that's red, like it takes it down immediately. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here, our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success, it's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. What's the difference between just a pocket disinfection setting and a true LANAP setting? Is that it's... It's just less energy delivered to the tissues. Okay. But it's... Is it, is a pocket disinfection also sterilizing? So it is sterilizing. It is. um, But the LANAP is about. I'll be honest with you. I I can't really say, I don't know if it gets rid of hundred percent of the bacteria, like the, the LANAP, but um, basically it's, you know, it's delivering that light, which also increases blood flow. Right. Okay. Gets rid of bad bacteria, promotes healthy um, flora, all that kind of stuff. So it's I would, I would assume during pocket di- disinfection too, we're not going to the level of the bone. We're going to the J. No, no, no. You're staying one to three. Right. Anything, anyone, anything but 
the actual Lynette protocol, you stay one to three. Okay, got it. Got it. Um, I want to take a step back and kind of talk about clinical indications and what hygienists should look for clinically when potentially referring for LENAP or laser therapy. And also, I want to clarify, um, LENAP is the full mouth protocol, correct? Like correct. LENAP and there's also a, a sister to LENAP, which is LEPIP, which is for right. implants. Correct. So LEPIP, laser-assisted periimplantitis protocol, is for failing implants. And does that also involve whole mouth where you are treating the implants, but disinfecting the rest of the teeth? We disinfect the whole mouth and you treat a tooth in front of and behind the implant. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the protocol is almost exactly the same, except there is less energy used around implants. Cause obviously it's a metal screw. You don't want to heat mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, you know, pretty much the same, the same protocol as far as post-op and all that kind of stuff. And okay. with implants, um, you know, the, the, the best results come when you can take the restoration off. So it's just a little bit trickier. I mean, it's not, I won't, let's not say it's tricky. It's just different, right? So teeth, you can't like take the crown of the tooth up. Mm -hmm. But if you could, you could let those root feel like you would get amazing results. So implants is a little bit better because you can remove the restoration for a period of time. Generally, it's like one to three months mm -hmm. and the bone just go, comes back immediately. It's crazy. Got it. And then there's laser assisted surgery, which is like a localized laser therapy. So when is that indicated versus LANAP or LAPIP? So laser assisted surgery, you know, is like for an isolated issue, right? And I'll be honest with you, for me, laser assisted surgery is really hard to, to, to use that term because we all know like perio is never isolated, right? And if you look for it, if you do the right diagnostic things, like you will find that the whole mouth probably needs the LNAP, right? Correct. So yeah. laser assisted surgery, um, you know, I would call that more of like, you know, removal of tissue distal to a second molar because we have a pocket that is a result on a young person of a third molar extraction. And when they heal, they just have like something extra left there, which is, you know, a great um, use. Um, but then there's also, you know, reasons to actually do surgery, like distal wedges and things like that. Right, so, right. um, you know, laser assisted surgery, I would say, I would call it, you know, anything that we're using the laser for that's not LANAP. Got it. Okay. And then, okay. So clinically, this is what, this is kind of my, you know, how I've adjusted and adapted and kind of evolved in regards to trying to determine a potential LANAP candidate. Okay. So when I see a patient um, and I'm doing my comp perio exam, and I'm finding that they have furcations two or higher. They have vertical defects, probing depths that are six or higher. They may or may not have tooth mobility. They have that gross gingival inflammation. I start thinking LANAP instead of non-surgical periotherapy because I ask myself, can I, without you know, surgical intervention, help them or can they maintain this class two or class three furcation without intervention with a specialist. That's what I start thinking. Okay. Yeah. The class two and three furcations are where I start thinking, okay, should we get a specialist involved? And then of course, with patient's medical history, uh, with the radiographs, with all the information, it's not just the CPE, but this, these are some of the things that I think of. And then that same, that a similar patient who has class, class three or class two furcations, vertical defects, absolutely no probing, just historic attachment loss may need nothing. But if a person has those things in pocketing, I, I'll think of those one or two things like, okay, does this patient potentially need a referral to perio for um, pocket reduction surgery or osseous surgery to make this more cleansable for the patient long-term? And 
prolong the life of certain teeth that otherwise would have a guarded or poor prognosis. Um, or the, the main difference I know when, when thinking of making a traditional perio referral for those things um, versus LANAP is that angry superficial tissue. So I know that the laser recognizes really angry tissue, red, um, erythematous, even cyanotic mm -hmm. tissue. It doesn't recognize the fibrotic tissue, the tough tissue, you know, kind of more arrested perio status, you know, even if it's advanced arrested perio, it's really about the, that superficial irritation, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, so here's, I would love to do laser on every, like the, the LANAP protocol is great on every type of periodontal disease. Does it work, you know, amazing versus surgery in those patients that you just described? Yes. Okay. Every patient that needs scaling could benefit from the laser. Mm -hmm. The biggest, you know, barrier for most patients is just the cost because there is increased cost. You know, um, it's more than double to treat a patient with laser versus traditional scaling and replaning. Mm -hmm. So most of the patients that are mild or moderate that can get adequate resolution without it do choose to do scaling and replanning simply because of financial reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that being said, you know, I would treat if I could every patient with the laser because it's what I want for myself, right? You don't want to get 50 to 75% reduction in the bacteria. You want to get it all. Okay. Mm -hmm. But like you described, yes, you know, you have to be able to recognize what scaling is not going to fix. Okay. Like you said, bony defects, vertical defects, um, you know, areas where there's frications, because even if you can make that better by reducing the inflammation, like there's still a big issue there. So yeah, yeah it's really great in those areas. Um, you know, the, the hardest thing to judge is just like when someone gets that bad, right. The difference between, you know, doing laser and doing surgery. And in, in the case that you described, like laser is almost always the answer, just because if you go and do osteosurgery in those areas and you reduce the bone even more because you have to, mm -hmm. you're going to end up with mobilities and larger frications and, you know, teeth that aren't in a great long-term, don't have a great long-term prognosis. Right. So, right. um, and the same with implants, right? Some of these areas, uh, you have to evaluate like what's really going on and what's the root cause. Like we have a lot of patients I see with peri-implantitis that have no attached tissue. And that's, you know, the, the laser is going to work short-term very well at curing the, the acute problem. But long-term, if you don't put back that attached gingiva, forget it. You're just going to have the same thing. It's just going to be an open area for bacteria right. just to run down right. the implant again. Right. So you know, looking at those things as a whole. And, you know, we're like Brittany said in the beginning, we're very fortunate to work in a practice with multi, uh, multiple specialists. And, you know, we, I work with the periodontist on most of these cases because yes, I can treat, like I said, the acute issues, but the long-term success for any of these patients, whether it's a tooth or an implant is dependent on, you know, us restoring like the biology that the body likes, right? You can't just clean up a little bit and then hope that the, the lack of attached tissue just doesn't bother the patient anymore. I mean, cause it will like bacteria don't care. Right. Right. Teresa, what questions do you have? Um, so I'm super, super, I geek out about the whole oral systemic connection and bloody prophies make my skin crawl just because of the bacteremia aspect. And honestly, you know, that's happening with our 4346 and our SRPs as well. It sounds to me like if you can insert a laser into the pocket first and get a hundred percent bacterial kill, 
Um, is there a lot of bleeding associated with doing laser? Like, is this something that makes a whole lot of sense from, from preventing a bacteremia issue? You know, I don't know that it prevents any bacteremia, to be honest with you, because you, the minute you go into that pocket, right, and there's bleeding, there's exchange of fluids. Like, um, I don't think it can prevent prevent that. I mean, part of the protocol is antibiotics. So we're kind of tackling it from a couple different ways. Like, yes, we're killing them, but also any ones that escape us, you know, hopefully the oral antibiotics are going to, going to cover that. Um, do, do you guys typically do salivary testing prior to, so you know what kind of antibiotics or you just have kind of a standard regimen on that front? How does there, that work? There a, so there's a standard regimen, but also, you know, that one of the benefits of, um, going to all this training is there is a Facebook page for all of us. And there's a big group chat basically that goes on between all of us, Lanap trained dentists and the ones that have gone through the fact that they're going to test everybody. Um, they always come back with the same thing. And they're like, I just stopped testing because it's always this. And I always, they always recommend prescribing that. Right. So, um, I personally don't test them because it's like, if so many people have done this already and they've come before me and like, you can go back on this Facebook page, like years and read the posts that people have put, like yeah. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And also you don't want to have to like pass on those costs to patients. Yeah. Um, and the, the chance that like the patient is an outlier, the bacteria are, are different is, is one. Yeah. yeah. Do you probably remember not. off the top of your head? I know probably not. Do you remember off the top of your head, which bacteria they usually are that are present when you're doing one app? Like which bacteria are over the threshold? I know this is very- I, If I was at work, I'd be able to tell you right away, but okay. my brain- <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming PG is a huge player in that. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Yeah. But PG is so susceptible to moxicillin. It's like, yep. you know. Is that what you usually- Yeah. Moxicillin okay. okay. depending okay. on patient, obviously you got to take into account allergies and things right. like that. Got it. Doxycycline is super common um, just because it covers a more broader spectrum than uh, moxicillin. Okay. And then I kind of want to, I want to touch on, um, so, so when we're probing, obviously, you know, we do the Comperio exam, we're going to the junctional epithelium or the circular epithelium. That's like as deep as we go. When you do your own assessment prior to doing LENAP, you bone sound. So you yes. go through that JE and you hit yep. bone, correct? Mm -hmm. So that's always going to be a deeper reading and a deeper number and a more accurate, it's basically like having a CBCT of where the bone is around each tooth. Yeah, it's, it's a more accurate depiction of where the bone loss actually is. And it's right. always more, there's always more disease than the initial chart. Right. And that's a good point because when we do bring them back and we're comparing, mm -hmm. you have to look at that. You can't look at the perio chart. You have to look at the bone sounding and compare it to the new perio chart, but we're not obviously bone sounding again because you don't want to break right. that. Right. 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 So, so I perio chart, you know, a patient is, um, is a candidate. You have a conversation with them. They go through with this um, treatment. So they have initially it's one day you typically do the whole mouth at the same time, right? Because that's the most ideal thing is doing the whole mouth, dis disinfecting everything at the same time. Yeah. So it's based on like the, I, it's the patient's choice, right? Mm -hmm. We can do the whole mouth or half and half. The ideal therapy is actually half and half just because um, when you do the, the occlusal adjustment, it's really, really difficult to do correct occlusal adjustment on the whole mouth at once, Got right? Because you want to have the other side touching so these can rest. However, most patients do choose to do the whole mouth at once because people just want to get it over with. Mm -hmm. Nobody right. wants to come back. And if you do half and half, is there like a waiting period? Like, do you want to wait a week or do you want to, can you do, could you do it the next day? Like do the other half and yeah, half? Yeah, a week apart. 
Okay. And then, so I think that what I've heard from patients, just their own report is the most uncomfortable part of this procedure is just getting numb. Like they have to get numb, yeah. greater palatine injections, size of, you know, injections, and they get injected everywhere. And then that's usually the sore part. But the major benefit is that when they're not numb anymore, they're usually very, very comfortable. Like you mentioned, this isn't like traditional periosurgery where they have cutting and they have sutures and they have a lot of limitations. Of course, they have home care limitations because you don't want to disrupt clots and you don't want to disrupt what's what's healing in an acute phase. But it's a lot more pleasant for the patient on our, and from a recovery standpoint than traditional periosurgery. So I've heard yeah, a lot of people come back see that the next day or the week after and they're like, I took an Advil the day and then nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's annoying that I have to do liquid and soft things, but right. you know, mm-hmm. and the great thing about, you know, this is that, like I said, it's using your body. Like we're not putting foreign products, right? So most of the time there's like sutures and perio pack and bone that's put in like that is, and I'm not going to say against, but it's like counter the protocol. Like the, they, they tell you, and this is the main message when you go to the training, it's like, just follow the steps, please just follow the steps don't like, we know that you're all smart. We know that you guys have ideas, but this has been tested. Like don't add things like don't add bone product. Don't add this. Don't add that. Like just follow the steps. Right. So, okay. So they initially see you a couple times in the first two weeks for follow-up and then they just see you at that three month super gingival yep. maintenance with me. Yep. Okay. So then three months later, I'm cleaning one to two millimeters subgingively. You may or may not do po- pocket disinfecting that day. And right. you may or may not do occlusal adjustment that day. And usually we know if it needs occlusal adjustment because there will still be mobility. There will be festooning around a certain area of the gingiva where everywhere else looks nice and pink. And then there's just this one area and that's usually exactly where they're in hyper occlusion. So then you go and adjust that area. Yeah. So, so those are the things that I look for when, when the LANAT patients are in follow-up with me. And then at that first three month Recare appointment is also when I usually scan them for perioprotect trays because now it's safe to create those and have something that's helping them disinfect to the bottom of their pockets in between the times that we can clean it because we can't clean it for a full year, right? Right. So they they do the three month super gingival um, perio maintenances for one full year. And at that one year mark, we treat it like a whole new mouth, right? So after one year, we do a comp perio chart again. We compare to the initial bone sounding that Dr. Dudley did. So it's bone sounding versus new perio chart, not old perio chart versus new perio chart. That's something that's important to know. Um, and then also we take an FMX that day, right? We treat it like a whole new right. patient. So even if they had an FMX last year, we're doing a new FMX because we're regenerating bone. We regrew something in your body. It's a whole different mouth now. So like Dr. Dudley said, a lot of times on these one-year um, post-LANAP x-rays, we're, we're not seeing like, oh my God, levels of bone growth. I mean, in some instances we are. Some instances it's like, wow, that looks crazy different on the x-ray. But a lot of times it's not until that three years out that we say, wow, there, there's a significant difference here. You know, um, It really does have to do with the patient following protocol and showing up to their appointments and us being meticulous about doing those adjustments and doing the pocket disinfection, them wearing the perio trays that helps keep things stable over time and helps them to have the best possible outcome. There are times at that one year post-op visit, when we do that FMX, we do the comp exam and we compare, when we find that an area has declined or it hasn't been as successful as we'd hope. And then at that point, we determine what's the next step. Is this person truly in maintenance now, or do we need to retreat something with traditional therapy, traditional scaling? Do they need to retreat in, the, retreat in a certain area with the laser? And we kind of go from there. Right. Yeah. And, and most of the time, you know, we're seeing patients that are really far gone. So there are some areas that's mostly maxillary molars mm-hmm. because of the fact that there's three roots there and multiple forcations that you do have to go back, you know, yeah. and it's okay. And most of the time we 
are still successful and you know you have to look at the big picture you know the main thing i want to get across to hygienists is that these patients are never going to be what you would consider acceptable Mm -hmm. you're going to look at them and you're going to say wow like i still feel like this is a disaster because we don't have one to three everywhere but you know what we have to look at is if we take that disease pocket that into a healthy sulcus with no bleeding, but it's still like a five, like Mm -hmm. that's okay. Right. So majority of the time in this, we're looking at the bone sounding versus the perio chart, we're going to get 50% reduction in those probing deaths. And that's, that's amazing. So if we take a 12 or a 10 to a five or a six, like, Hey, to me, I'm super happy because I know at the one year we have just touched on what is going to happen over the next two, right? right. Yeah, sometimes you do need to go back in and do a little bit of scaling, use the laser again. Like, and there's no, like periodontal disease is a chronic long-term health dis- problem, right. right? Just like diabetes, it's just like hypertension, you know, or sleep apnea. Like it is not, there's no one and done treatment. There's no pill you can take. There's no quick, easy therapy, right? I mean, like the best thing is, don't get yourself in the situation in the first place. Like, well, obviously this podcast is not catered to those people <laughs> to treat it, um, and don't have periodontal disease. But, um, you know, so you have to kind of look at these patients a different way and look at like small successes versus like, hey, like I'd rather this patient be healthy in one to three because we're never gonna, I mean, in some patients we do get that. Right. No, I think it's moderate cases, they, the laser is amazing. You know, you're going to get, they're going to go back to like looking like they could have a prophy. They're not going to have a prophy, but they can look like they could have one. Mm-hmm. Right. By these severe cases, we just have to like, most of the time I'm dealing with patients that just say, Hey doc, I don't want to lose my teeth. I don't want this extraction plan that Dr. You know, Jones up the road gave me and told me that there were no other, other options. Like I want another option. I'm not ready to give up yet. So and we do, we, I mean, there are patients that we've kept teeth like an extremely longer amount of time than I thought was ever possible. And it's because of the laser Yeah, it's implants yeah. as well, implants yeah. as well. You know, I have a question, um, talking about occlusion because we do know that is such a player in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you recommend when you have somebody that is in severely traumatic occlusion and, and ortho really does need to happen for them? Where does the timing fall for those patients of when we're doing therapy and how that progresses through? And, and honestly, those are your patients that generally aren't really um, Invisalign candidates. Like it's more. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Some of them can do Invisalign. You know, what we do is we treat the perio first. I mean, I went to school at University of Detroit and I don't know how other dental schools run, but like I can't do anything without treating the perio on anybody. Um, so you treat the perio first and then after the laser, somewhere between three and six months in an outlying case, we'll wait nine. Okay. But yeah, you do get them into ortho. You, you control the movement very slow. We use a lot of Invisalign in our practice. You know, some, if not most patients, especially with lower um, anterior mobility, will just need rigid splinting. And that's a conversation we have ahead of time. Like, Hey, we can get these teeth better. We can help you, but here's how we have to do that. And, you know, if you want to keep these lower anterior teeth, like most of the time you do need some sort of either composite splinting or a fixed lingual retainer. Um, And that all comes into play with like the initial treatment plan. Like when you're looking at someone, like you're going to give them 
all the bad stuff up front. Like, Hey, you might need this. You might need that. You might need that. When we have teeth with mobility and bone loss, like if they're constantly moving, you're never going to get that bone to regrow. So, um, but yeah, you can do orthodontics. Generally we wait three months. You know, I do a lot of cases in concert with our, um, uh, with another doctor in our practice that does full mouth rehabs. And it's like, you put the patient in temps, like we prep them, we do the laser, we put them in temps for three months. Like those cases are amazing because you basically have like a rigid splint for the three months. And then we go and put the final restorations that aren't one big piece, or maybe they are depending on how many teeth are missing and things like that. Um, yeah. So, so on that, like help us to understand when is it, I know that there are perio patients who, a lot of their advanced perio issues may be secondary to their occlusal disease. Like maybe right. it started as just an occlusal disease and then bacteria kind of populated the pockets that were being made because of the occlusion. Um, and then for some patients, it's they're too far gone. They have so much mobility. They have so advanced attachment loss that like, okay, how can we move the teeth? Now I know in LANAP, there's a kind of different protocol, it seems like, because you are regenerating the bone and the tissue and the osteoblasts are doing something similar that they do when you move bone during ortho or when you do a tooth extraction. So I know mm -hmm. that that process is all similar. And now sometimes we can move teeth after LANAP because the way that the, the bone is regenerating, the osteoblastic activity is similar to when teeth are moving. So it all works together. So right. when is the patient who has moderate to advanced perio that is secondary to occlusal disease that had LANAP, when is it safe or how can you determine if it's safe for them to move their teeth? And it like, what are the pros and cons? Because I know that putting the teeth in the more ideal position is going to be a better long-term situation for the patient where they, they're more likely to keep their teeth, but there's also risk to moving a high-risk tooth that has a lot of bone. Yeah, I mean, so that's, like, the line? that's like a whole podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> it, it's difficult. You know, obviously you have to look at each patient, you know, the benefit if you're doing it with Invisalign is that you can slow that movement down so much. Like you have mm -hmm. so much control with the liners. And I mean, I don't do Invisalign, but we do a lot of Invisalign in our practice. Mm -hmm. um, you can slow it down so much. And I mean, we've done it where we've looked at teeth and gone, well, this is tricky, but you know, you just have to inform the patient and um, you have to weigh the risks and the benefits. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, you know, most of the population we're treating, um, with the severe periodontitis is older and, um, some of them do get Invisalign, but you know, the ones that are the ones that you're talking about where you're just like, Oh, Whoa, like, I don't know what to do with that. Like they're not opting for Invisalign as well, or moving the teeth. We're just making them a really strong occlusal guard and adjusting, um, the, the heavy contacts as much as possible to get them into a stable spot. Got it. So it's definitely a person by person. There's no, there's definitely not a one size fits all for that sort of thing. Like oh, it's no. highly person, highly personal and highly um, informing the patients and having realistic expectations, just like right. you do free LANAP, like, Hey, you're not going to be a person who's going to have three millimeter pockets, but if we can get this eight to a four, that's great kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge communication. Well, and I think that's dentistry in general. I mean, I just think, you know, <laughs> I think that was old school thinking is, you know, that was just kind of the map you do this, this, and this, and you'll get this, this, and this. And we're learning that you know, every single patient is so different. Their host factors are different. You know, their outlying factors are different. Their genetics are different. So I, I just think that's across the board with anything that we're doing in dentistry. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's no one size fits all. I mean, I know medicine would love to shove people into little boxes, but right. absolutely not. Like each patient is individual. You have to tailor the treatment. Like even the LANAP, like even though there's a protocol, like there's certain, like, everyone gets an occlusal guard, but everyone doesn't get the same occlusal guard. Like you have to look at the 
the factors. You have to look to the anterior discluding out. Like there's just so many things. It's like, yes, there's a, it's like cooking, right? Grandma makes, you know, the best meatballs. I'll tell you the story from my grandma. My cousin goes to get the recipe because my grandmother's old. She's 92. And she looks at her and goes, well, how much of this do you put? And she goes, what are you talking about? You put the right amount. You know, like, so it's like that, right? So you have like a general outline, like, hey, we use, we use the meat, we use, you know, Ritz crackers, she puts an onion, she puts a potato, but how much salt? She doesn't know. She does it by, by feel and texture of the, of the mixture. So it's like the Lenape is the same. Like, you can't just say like, hey, I'm a robot, like, which is why everyone's like, oh, are you scared about all this thing? Like there's a, there's a robot that puts in dental implants. Like, no there's still a human that has to calibrate that robot. Right, like right. you can't, you can't just like, it's, we're not stamping out widgets here. Right. So right. everything has to be tailored. And like, like you can say like, Oh yes, like this person's getting Lenap, but like Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith who get Lenap, their Lenaps are completely different. Right. 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 Based on what I have experience with and what I think will make them have the best results. Right. Well, I got to say that I'm super jealous of the relationship um, personally and, uh, locationally that you and Brittany have, because you're right down the hall from each other. So you can go and talk about patients and see the progress and talk about that together. And that, that definitely makes it a little easier. So my mm -hmm. question is for those of us who, uh, you know, have to reach out to our periodontist and it's, mm -hmm. you know, communication back and forth, what are your thoughts and recommendations for us to have that best relationship to communicate effectively? You know, what does the the periodontist need to know from us that's going to help the success rate of the of the LANAP and just the procedures that you guys are doing. Yeah, I think the best thing to do is one, like have a have a open dialogue like with someone before, like that they know who you are. Not that you're just calling them up and being like, hey, I need to talk about Mr. Smith, but you don't know who I am from so-and-so practice over here. Um, you know, if you have offices that your doctor generally refers to, it's good to go and meet the doctor and just so they can see your face. Um, and also say like, hey, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything possible to get successful results from your procedure. So, you know, can you tell me exactly what you would like? And here's what I know. And here's what I don't know. But I just don't want to, you know, I want to do what you want me to do. Um, also, you know, the most important thing is like if we see something, not waiting to be like, oh, let's see if this resolves by your next visit. Like you got to address it right away. Right. So if the patient's home care is poor, like the periodontist needs to know about that or the general dentist that did the, the, the laser, because I mean, like you said, I'm down the hall from Brittany and Brittany comes in and tells me like, Hey, this guy doesn't look like he touched his toothbrush in the last three months. Like my demeanor and discussion topics going in there are a lot different than, wow, they had no plaque anywhere. They're doing great. Right. right? Yeah. So having those conversations and not being afraid to honestly have those conversations yourself with the patient. Like you guys know what's good high home care and what's not. You don't have to wait for me to come in and go, wow, what a disaster. Like right. prime the patient, like, Hey, you know, the dentist is probably going to say, this doesn't look great. And the reasons why are because of X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. but communicating with the specialist is super easy. You know, getting your, getting your face in front of them just so they know who you are, making sure you have a good relationship, maybe even with like the office manager, just saying like, Hey, we saw this guy, like, you need to get him in with the next couple of days. Cause I see this or this or this, but looking for like the mouth should generally look like healthy after a laser. Right. It looks amazing. Right. So any, like Brittany was saying, localized areas that don't look great, like that might need a little bit more occlusal adjustment, or it might just need to be, you know, have a little bit more of the, the pocket disinfection done. Cause we don't, 
do it typically at every single visit. Right. So just looking at those things and getting someone back to the periodontist if they, if they need it, right. Recognizing, Hey, this, the whole mouth looks great, but number six is just bleeding for no reason. Like that tooth just needs to be buzzed, you know, those right. Of things. right. This has been so, so helpful for me. Um, honestly, I've had a couple of patients who have gone and had and honestly, I don't know, they had laser therapy, but I'm not sure if it was Lanap or just laser disinfection because there was no communication between the periodontist and I for me to really know. Like I didn't know until Brittany shared with me that I shouldn't be going past three millimeters within a year. So, yeah. and if they had Lanap, I'm sure that they would have told you because that is like number one paramount. And I make sure we have a lot of patients that are um, spend half the year here in Florida and half the year somewhere else. And they are fully aware when they see the hygienist that's up North or whatever, that they are to tell them. And we send, um, communications directly to their office, like, please stay superficial. So I'm sure if it was that, but to your point, like there are so many people out there doing laser therapy for periodontal disease, but all lasers are not created equal. And the only one that has FDA approval, which is a big deal is the Lanap protocol and the MVP periolase. Right. And you can find out if your dentist is one of those dentists by contacting the company. You can go on their website and put in um, the information and someone will get back to you within like a day or two of whether or not this person is actually Lanap certified. Yeah. And, and if a hygienist did it, like clearly it wasn't Lanap. So I would ask, okay, was it the hygienist or the dentist? Like, did you go to a specialist? Did they get you numb? Did they tell you that they were trying to regrow bone or are they just trying to kill bacteria? Like, I think there's some ways to get to like, okay, what was actually done? If you absolutely can't get a hold of the provider in that moment, you know, right. I think when in doubt also, it's just safer to maybe not probe, probe next visit and then just stay supra contact the provider and then see what you can do next time. Mm-hmm. you know, when in doubt, because you, because you really don't want to destroy whatever is regenerating down there. And the, and the no probing for a year is very important. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Dudley, is there anything else that you think that hygienists should know? Anything else you want to tell us about the laser before we wrap it up here? Yeah. So if we didn't touch on it too much, like it has other um, uses. So one of the major ones that I use that honestly on myself a lot is it treats aptus ulcers. So normally I don't know how they're treated most places, but you know, you can use the Bacterol, you can just tell patients to use saltwater rinses. But if you have like, even like a denture sore that's bothering someone, you don't, there's even no contact. Like you just hover above it with a certain setting of the laser. And within five minutes, the patient feels so much better. Mm-hmm. Desensitization of teeth um, is a big one. And then also just like, if you have a patient that is constantly that bloody prophy and you've tried peri-protection, all that kind of stuff, laser can help. Like you don't, don't have to do a full and app, but disinfecting with the laser can, can be a game changer. So, um, also biopsies and things like that. Like there are so many different uses for it. Like I will tell you, I probably use it at least once a day and I'm not doing an app every day on somebody to do something right. If you're, you know, a dentist and you're listening to this, like it, it has multiple uses. It's not just for Lanap. What, what kind of lesions typically would you be able to biopsy with the laser? Like what type, like, would it just be fibromas and hematomas? What are you like? You can, so, um, yes, fibromas. Um, you can also remove hematomas on lips because like, it's, like I said, no contact where the, the laser is targeting the pigment. So the, the blood absorbs the laser and it resorbs itself into the body. So there's a couple cosmetic things you can do with it. Um, not proven yet, but like you can use it on the palate to kind of like tighten it for sleep apnea, but that is not not FDA approved or anything like that. 
Got it's it. like an adjunct if you want to try to do something. Is that kind of similar um, to, I've seen you use it like extra orally too on um, tissue or on, on um, muscle. Yeah, yeah, extra orally, that's great for bringing that up. It's called biostimulation. So the laser um, increases blood flows. It can be used on like areas that just had surgery. If your patient comes in really bruised, if they're really mm -hmm. sore in an injection site, just mm -hmm. helps kind of stimulate those natural healing enzymes that like are gonna calm things down. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been really informative. I think that we answered all of our questions. And I think that, you know, for an average hygienist, I know that they don't get as much um, direct like contact and direct information. Um, like I know that I'm very fortunate and blessed to have all this kind of like right in front of me, be able to pick your brain at any time. But I think that this will be really helpful for anyone who's not familiar with the laser and the function and the follow-up to kind of have an idea of what to expect, how to inform the patient of what to expect if they're sending someone for laser, if they're following up with someone after laser. I think that the more that the specialists and the hygienists and the GPs can understand and be fully informed about these things, the better overall outcomes we will have for our patients. So really thankful for having you here. Thank you for answering our questions. And, um, our next thing will have to be um, a whole episode on uh, OSA. Oh, yeah. I'd love to come back and talk about sleep apnea. Okay. Sleep apnea is my jam. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank right. you for filling our brains today. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot. And um, I'm actually planning to go spend a day with our periodontist just so I can kind of get immersed and see what they're doing and ask all the questions and really connect there. Because I think yeah. this is really a really important relationship to foster for, for just all of the patient benefits. Yeah. Seeing people in person really makes a difference because then it's like, you know, building rapport with someone and then they know who you are. And it's not just like, oh, it's Susie again. Like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah, who Susie right. is. Right. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and all of your wisdom. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Hope you have a great weekend, ladies. Thank you. You too. Thank you. And goodbye to all of our listeners. We hope you guys have a fantastic week. Um, if you haven't joined us yet on our Mighty Network app, you can download it for free and just search Bulletproof Hygiene and come chat with us. We'd love to get to know you and foster some collaboration. Everybody have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.